Today tastes like heading out the door and driving into town. It tastes like grabbing snacks and a Coke and singing as loud as you can. Today tastes like anything could happen. And it never tasted this good. Summer tastes better with Coca-Cola. Wherever you're going this week, don't forget to grab an ice-cold, refreshing Coca-Cola from 7-Eleven. Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. In Major League Baseball, there are certain records that are all-time that people consider unbreakable records. They are these accomplishments that diehard baseball fans, they don't think will ever ever be broken. There is a list that I am going to tell you. First off, I'm going to give you an outline of that said record. And then I'm going to give you my angle on could be broken or is it actually an unbreakable record? Now, for the people who are watching on amp.tv, double A-M-P dot TV, I am wearing a Chicago Cubs hat because my favorite team is the Chicago Cubs. You might like that. You may not like that. But just giving you all the details here before we start. The first unbreakable record, according to baseball fans, is the most MLB hits in a career. And that was by Pete Rose, a Cincinnati Reds legend. He played from 1963 to 1986. The record that he set is, listen to this, 4,256 hits. No active MLB player at this time is even close to breaking Pete Rose's record. Now, the only active player as of 2020 with even 3,000 is Albert Pujols, and he is at 3,202. Pete Rose is at 4,256. So that would mean that Albert Pujols, who is near 40 years old, would have to get a thousand hits near a thousand hits to even get close to Pete Rose. Now this record was, you have to understand Pete Rose is a type of athlete that, you know, was very controversial back then. There was stories about how he would cork his bats. There has been all these allegations about uh, him using certain things when he was playing. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. What I will say is that when he played, and when he played for 20-plus seasons in MLB, he got on base. And, oh boy, he got on base a lot. Just to give you some context, if somebody wanted to get close to Pete Rose's record, they would have to collect... 250 hits for 17 years in a row. That is a feat that I don't think can ever happen. I want to say that one more time. 250 hits, not at-bats, hits in a 17 straight years. And that would only get you six hits away from Pete Rose. You would have to consistently perform at that level for 17 years. Yes, my angle is that this is an unbreakable record. I don't think this is going to be broken unless there is a phenom that comes from Japan 
maybe there's this kid who, when he starts at 18, is the next, like, Ken Griffey, the next Babe Ruth, is somebody who tears up baseball, then they could have a good chance. But to get 250 hits for 17 straight seasons... That is nearly impossible. So I'm going to have this one be unbreakable. The next record that is considered unbreakable was actually recent in terms of MLB's history. Back in 2004, Seattle Mariners outfielder Ichu had 262 hits in a single season. The record is 262. Remember what I said with the Pete Rose, that Pete Rose had, you would have to hit 250 17 years in a row. The record is 262. Now, understand that this record is more recent. It's around 16 years old. And its longtime durability is debatable, in my opinion. Because with how many hits these players are getting now with the juiced baseball that, yes, we all know exists, this is a record that I do believe could be broken considering the offensive numbers that we are seeing in baseball now. The offensive firepower and the increase in home runs, the increase in hits that we have seen since juiced baseball has been introduced this is a record that i believe could be broken ichiro 262 hits in a single season now what we're talking about here on the sports angle are records that are considered unbreakable in mlb history and i your host rocco kelly is going to give you my angle on are they Actually unbreakable or could it actually happen so I already told you the first two which was the all-time hits in a career which was 4,256 by Pete Rose that was unbreakable it is so slim of a chance that you could even do it the Ichiro 262 hits in a single season that could be broken with the baseball and with everything that that goes on in a season now and the offensive firepower they could have that broken next one that i don't think could be broken just based off of the longevity the most consecutive seasons 200 hits it was set ichiro Ichiro is on this list a lot because he was one of the players to come from Japan. And he has this record of 10 consecutive seasons with 200-plus hits in a row. From 2001 to 2010, Ichiro had 200 hits. I got to remember... He won the MVP his first season in baseball, 2001 AL MVP. He had the batting title twice during that time period, and he led the American League in hits seven of those 10 years. The reason why I consider this an unbreakable record, 10 seasons in a row with 200-plus hits, is because you have to understand something. 200-plus hits for an entire decade, you have to have, A, longevity, and, B, you have to be having no regression through your career through that entire decade. You have to be among the best of the best for that entire decade lifespan. And in the modern era of MLB, Albert Pujols comes to mind, there are players who are dominant when they first come into the league and then they start to fizzle out towards the end. So I consider this unbreakable because you have to have 10 straight years of 200 plus hits and with regression and with everything that goes MLB, I don't see this record happening.
And in fact, if you really want to look at it, only two players hit 200 plus in 2019. Only two. Now, granted, to be fair, those two players are among the very best in terms of offensive numbers, but only two hit 200 last year. So if those two players were going to do 10 in a row, it would have to be very, very challenging for both guys. The next record that I believe could be broken is the most home runs in a game. Now, the record is four, and there are 18 players who have hit four home runs in a game. Now, a five-home run game would not only require a player to have five plate appearances, but he would have to receive hittable pitches in each appearance. The reason why a lot of people consider this an unbreakable record is because once you hit fourth home run, pitchers, if you do get to that fifth appearance, will straight up walk you. They will do the 4-0, just go take your base, or since they got rid of that modern MLB, they will just say, all right, we're going to walk you, just take your base. Now, I reason why I think this could be a broken record is because 18 players in MLB history have gotten four home runs in a game. Lou Gehrig has done it. You've had all of these legends who have done it in the past, like Mike Cameron in 2002. What a legend, by the way. Now, breaking this record is plausible if they don't do the uh, walking. If they have your fifth appearance and they allow you to get on, on uh, to the plate... That record could be broken. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. This is The Sports Angle. Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. On amp.tv, double A-M-P.tv, and on KIOF 97.9 FM in Las Vegas. Sports Circus with their host, Ringmaster Sal. Recently, I watched a show from the Sports Circus, and they were talking about the NBA's return, and he mentioned, because I'm going to give him credit here, he's going to be my source for this one, he mentioned that with the playoffs and with the return and everything that's going on, instead of doing the eight regular season games and instead of having all of this extra stuff that could eventually cause certain things to happen in a certain way, how about... Instead of the eight regular season games, you have a playoff lottery. You have a system where the teams with the higher record that are the eighth and ninth seed, they get more lottery balls. But the team that is like Phoenix and those teams like San Antonio that are towards the bottom, you give less balls, but they have a chance. It's like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance. Now, I listened to his idea about the playoff lottery, and I had to sit back for a second, and I had to analyze it, and understand where he's going. That a playoff lottery, it would make it more fair, and on a grand scheme of things, it wouldn't be an unnecessary eight regular season games 
that could a potentially uh, screw over a team that was going to make it in a other scenario. And secondly, the teams that are higher up, like the six teams in the East and the seven teams in the West who are basically mathematically locked in. If you look at it, Dallas is seven games ahead of eighth place and Philadelphia is nine games ahead of Orlando. They would be in a position where they would keep all their seating. They would keep their spots and you wouldn't be able to go up and down in the, in the seating because you're playing eight regular seed games. If you're doing a playoff lottery, those six in the East and those uh, seven in the West, they would stay where they are. The playoff lottery is what we're talking about here. I understand his point, and I understand where he's going, but here's my one rebuttal. And here is the one aspect of the playoff lottery that the Sports Circus, a show here on Amp.TV, and so on KIOF 97.9 FM, the one flaw that problem is that if you did a playoff lottery, first off, the four-letter network and their affiliates could rig it to have whoever they wanted to be the eighth seed to begin with. But secondly, you also are going to have all of the teams that are technically battling for that eighth seed in the West. That's why you have five that are competing for in the West and only two in the East. So if you're going to do the lottery system, would you have a separate one for the East and separate for the West? Or would you include them both together, have all the lotteries in there, and whichever Eastern Conference team gets there at the bottom becomes the eighth seed, and whichever West team eventually ends up being the last lottery ball ends up being the eighth seed in the West? How is all this going to be figured out? How would all of the scenarios equal everything altogether? I like the press. I like the idea of a playoff lottery, but the four-letter network could just rig it. Understand that Memphis, who currently is the eighth seed, you have the rookie of the year in John Morant. And yes, NBA fans, you're going to give me that side eye, but John Morant is the rookie of the year. Not Zion, John Morant. You have NBA's upcoming future GOAT in Zion Williamson, the four-letter network's words, not mine. You have Brandon Ingram. You have Lonzo Ball. New Orleans is what that network wants them to be. That four-letter network wants the Pelicans in the playoffs so desperately. And why is that? Well, think about it like this. Who is the number one seed in the West right now? That would be their current GOAT, LeBron James. And wouldn't it be convenient if they could somehow, if they could some way get LeBron James and Zion Williamson to meet in the playoffs? If they could figure out a way to trick this to somehow rig this entire thing and allow the matchup that we have, that they have wanted of Zion and LeBron in the first round, the ratings would go through the roof. Revenue would be high. They would be sitting in a pile of money because you would be getting the matchup that the media wants. And that is my angle on the playoff lottery is that it's a good idea and it's a good concept. I just think that if they did do that system, there would be the possibility of the four-letter network of the NBA coming together behind closed doors and saying, well, you know, LeBron and Zion would be great for ratings. They shake hands and then they rig the lottery to have Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans be the eighth seed. It's just the way I look at it, is that that's what the NBA and the four-letter network would do. If they did a playoff lottery, they would rig it. But if we're going to talk about the current playoff format, who says the NBA is not going to rig it either? 
who says that ESPN, yeah, I'll give them one credit here, and the NBA aren't going to somehow, aren't going to some way get the Pelicans to go 8-0, and 7-1, and make the playoffs and be the eighth seed. It would not put it past me. I would not be surprised. I would not be shocked if somehow the New Orleans Pelicans conveniently get the eighth seed. Because think about it like this. The New Orleans Pelicans and the Los Angeles Lakers would make a lot of money. And more importantly, Zion is their future. And what is the one blemish that everyone talks about with LeBron is that he missed the playoffs his first year. Everyone always talks about how, oh, the Cavaliers, they missed the playoffs the first year. Oh, that means LeBron's legacy was diminished somehow because they missed the playoffs their first year. So to protect Zion's legacy, they are going to have to make the because that's what they do, folks. They pick and choose, they pick their favorites, and they allow certain things to happen. For the people who are watching right now on amp.tv, double A-M-P.tv, let me know what you think about this. If they did a playoff lottery, wouldn't they just rig it to have the New Orleans Pelicans and to have Zion Williamson meet LeBron in the first round because that would be great for ratings. And if they do the eight regular season games, and with the in-game betting that is allowed, by the way, wouldn't it be convenient for the NBA if the Pelicans go 8-0, and if they go 7-1, and and they make the playoffs, they become the eighth seed, and they face their golden boy, in LeBron James. I'm looking at it from that perspective. And I know there are certain people out there who are watching this right now on amp.tv and are listening on iHeartRadio, on Spotify, KIOF 97.9 FM, and Talk 1490 WIRB. And yours probably sitting there in your car thinking to yourself, what is this guy talking about? What does he mean the NBA is going to somehow get Zion into the eighth seed? It is not a coincidence that year after year, the best players, the best teams somehow lose to the teams that are the most popular. It is not a coincidence to me that the NBA allows the most popular teams year after year to get into the higher seeds, to get them in the playoffs, to get them in the NBA finals. Why is that? It's simple. Because you have to understand that with the NBA, it's all about ratings. It's all about how much revenue can they make and everything that goes along with it. My angle on the playoff system they have now is simple. The NBA is going to somehow find a way to rig the regular season, those final eight games, and they are going to have them meet LeBron in the first round and have their ratings be at its peak. That is my angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Follow me on social media at Rocco Kelly Radio. This is The Sports Angle.
Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. Amp.tv, A-M-P.tv. You can join in on the show. You can discuss it live with your host, Rocco Kelly. Let's go to chat right now and let's hear what you have to say. Well, let's welcome in our regulars and also welcome back uh, Bulldogs. Good to see you there. So we've got Pete Rose should be allowed in the Hall of Fame just for... uh The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Uh, This record, and I believe they're talking about the hitting record, uh, it happened before the ban. Yeah, but when you get a lifetime ban, I feel like that includes the Hall of Fame as well. Like, I understand that he has the all-time hits record, which is still very impressive. I mentioned earlier in the first segment, unbreakable records in MLB, the Pete Rose 4,256. That will never be broken. You would have to, for 17 years straight, have 250 hits in a row. It would be nearly impossible. Understand that Pete Rose had a very impressive career. And you you can't take away the accomplishments he had in Cincinnati. And I'm not going to. He was an impressive player. But when you get a lifetime ban... And when baseball says you are no longer allowed to be at the ballpark, when you're no longer allowed to be near any of MLB's front offices, there's a reason why he hasn't been in the Hall of Fame. There's a reason why Pete Rose has not been able to do certain things with MLB. And it's because he was taking bets. He was betting on games. And that was against the MLB rulebook at the time. And for people who get upset about that, understand that Pete Rose has openly admitted in the past that, yes, he betted on games, but it was not his teams. And if you want to believe Pete Rose, go right ahead. If you don't, that's up to you. But let's take that at face value. Let's say that he wasn't betting on Reds games. Well, you're Pete Rose. You have friends from your 23-plus years in MLB who are on other teams. In fact, he still had players that he played with that were still active in MLB when he was a manager. So it is plausible, and it is technically possible that Pete Rose had insider information, and more importantly, there was a possibility that he knew from the players that he has played with that, all right, well, okay, you think you're going to do this, this, and this? All right, I'm going to put this much down on that game there. When you get caught betting on baseball games, you get a lifetime ban. That was set in motion. My angle on the Pete Rose lifetime ban is that, yes, he is the all-time hits record, and MLB can't take that away from him. But will he be in the Hall of Fame? No, because he had the lifetime ban. And if for some reason MLB decided to have Pete Rose in, you got to have Shoeless Joe Jackson also put in as well. You have to have it both ways. 
If you keep out Pete Rose, you keep out Shoeless Joe Jackson. If you put in Pete Rose into Cooperstown, then you have to do the same for Shoeless Joe Jackson. For anyone who has never seen Field of Dreams, Shoeless Joe Jackson was one of the best players in the early era of MLB. In the 1910s, he was undoubtedly one of the best hitters in baseball. He was on the Chicago Black Sox team that was caught basically in the nicest way possible, throwing away the World Series. They got caught, they banned the players who were involved, and that included Shoeless Joe Jackson. There still is rumors to this day that Jackson actually didn't rig the World Series, that he was playing as hard as he could. He just took the money because he already knew about it. And even if that's the case, she still technically took money. So that is why he got the lifetime ban. All I'm mentioning about Pete Rose as we get back to the question is that it happened before the lifetime ban, but the lifetime ban includes everything. It wasn't just him as a manager. It was him as a player as well. That is why Pete Rose's record still stands according to the MLB record book, but there's a reason why he will never be in the Hall of Fame because he had a ban from baseball for betting on baseball games. Let's go back to chat on TV. Back to the chat. Chat comes in about the lifetime ban. Lifetime ban? Whose lifetime? Keith Richards? That guy's a vampire. Yeah, if you're a vampire, a lifetime ban will allow you to be as long as humanly possible. Now, I understand that as long as he is alive, I think that is the rule, by the way, is that when it comes to a lifetime ban, is that as long as MLB is still running and as long as Pete Rose is still alive, he is going to be banned from baseball. However... There is the Joe Jackson argument that I mentioned earlier. Shoeless Joe Jackson was from the 1910s, and he is still banned from baseball. So could that lifetime ban just basically be a permanent ban from baseball? The lifetime they say of baseball? Life, the lifetime of baseball, yeah, which is essentially a permanent amount of time because MLB has been around for 150 years if that's if i'm that's sorry the case, rocco if that's the case that it is a lifetime baseball ban for pete rose i think we should just go ahead and get get the bankruptcy over with ah yes the bankruptcy conversation we just talked get the bankruptcy about over with oh. let's let's put pete in and then next year we can all restart all new for owners, people who- all new players everything we'll be good For everyone who is listening right now, what we're talking about is that earlier this week, we talked about the owners and the MLB Players Association once again not coming to an agreement. And I explained on the show that the owners have only three possibilities. They file bankruptcy. They liquidate more of their personal assets to pay the payroll for these players or they simply come to a compromise and the compromise seems unlikely considering the owners just turned down the 114 game proposal that the MLB players association has put out there. And according to the MLB owners, they are not going to file a counter offer. It seems like they're done. Like they don't, they are fed up with these MLB players wanting so much money, wanting all this prorated salary. When you don't make a counter offer, I feel like that's the point in business when the other side is just fed up at that point and they're just sitting there like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. At least that's my perspective on it is that the owners not filing a counter offer 
shows to me that we are nowhere near a compromise. So let's take that off the table for a second. Liquidating more assets, more personal assets from the owners to pay the payroll. It is an interesting idea. Think about it like this. If they did do that, short term, it would work. But long term, it would have financial um, problems for these teams. As the Cubs owner, Tom Ricketts, did say, not every baseball team is a cash cow. And that is true, by the way. There are some MLB owners who have some of the lowest payrolls in baseball. Hey, Pittsburgh, I'm looking right at you, bud. There are certain teams that they don't have a lot of payroll. Their owner doesn't have that much of free assets to throw around. So they have to be a smaller market. They have to have a smaller payroll, a smaller budget. So them liquidating more of their assets to pay their payroll, that would cause more problems down the line. And that would be a long-term effect that baseball probably doesn't want to go down. And if I'm being honest, and I'm your host, Rocco Kelly here, MLB doesn't need that long-term problem. The owners don't and the players don't. The CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement, expires before the 2022 season. They have to renew that during the winter meetings leading up to 2022. And with the current climate that we are in right now and the disagreement and the disruptive relationship that these two have, I will not be surprised if in the 2021 winter meetings, there isn't a deal done. Because that bargaining agreement that they both agreed to, I have a feeling is going to get shattered because of this experience. That because of the, let's just put it lightly, because of the nuisance that they've had to go through, there could be a problem. This is Rocco Kelly. This is the Sports Angle. Go Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. Now, for the people who are wondering about the MLB owners and the MLB Players Association and what I meant by there are some owners that are in the smaller markets that they aren't just sitting in a pile of cash. Look, I understand that there are certain owners out there that are in the billions, all right? They are worth a lot of money, but that's not every owner. There isn't every single owner in MLB is worth a billion dollars. In fact, there are a lot of millionaires that are in MLB owners. In fact, if someone can correct me on this, definitely go right ahead. But I believe the owner with the who is ranked the lowest in terms of net worth, is the Cincinnati Reds. I think he's only worth $400 million. And yes, oh I know it's only four, only $400 million, but when you understand how much a baseball team is worth and how much a baseball team is ran and all the finances and everything that goes into making a team plausible – Having to take your and liquidate your personal assets and your own hundred five hundred million dollars, it doesn't really allow you much leeway. Now the teams that are like the Tigers that are worth like three billion dollars, I believe they could do that a lot easier than the teams that have a net worth of four hundred and five hundred million. 
And yes, Sonar, I know I heard it through the headphones. Yeah, only, only. 400, only 400 and 500 million. Only. Like I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, 400 and 500 million when you're running a team isn't that much of a leeway. It doesn't allow you to just spend as much money as humanly possible. You have to, you have some restriction there. Yeah. Well, I mean, my biggest thing is, is that bad things happen. They do. Bad things happen to people. Bad things happen in the world. Bad things happen to businesses. Bad things happen to uh, grandmas. Bad things happen to, like, all kinds of things. Bad things happen. Store owners. Exactly. Terrible, terrible things happen. But on the same side as terrible things that happen, good things happen. You set records. You pay out the most. You have all of these great and grandiose things. You have new stadiums. You have to have a balance. Exactly. And here's my problem is when it starts getting bad, the one time, the one time the season is in jeopardy because of of not being able to be in the black, the entire sport is going to fall apart. The entire league is going to dismantle because of one year in the red? Are you kidding me? There are small business owners right now that have been operating in the red, and this was the first year they were going to get in the black, and now they can't. And what do you think they're going to do? Are they going to go to their employees and say, sorry, guys, I'm only going to pay you $3 an hour uh, until we can get the the business back into the black, and so that me, as my four hundred million dollars sitting in the bank account, doesn't get touched. Well, now hold on, just wait a minute. Comparing an MLB owner to a small business, now that's a bit of a stretch. And here's what I mean by this: a small business owner, I guarantee you, they're not sitting there. With $400 million in the bank. In fact, they probably have a way less than that. Yeah. Now, for small businesses that are in the red, they were starting to get into the black like you did. Today. Yes, with this pandemic and with the rioting and with everything that was going on, that made a very big negative on their business. In fact, there are a lot of small business owners that have unfortunately have had to close their doors, unfortunately have not come back because of what happened. Now, in a normal circumstance, we would just say force majeure and we would just move on. But let's analyze this just one second. Yes, small business owners are completely different than an MLB owner who is forking out millions of dollars every single year in payrolls, in operating costs, uh, maintenance. You also have to understand a lot of these ballparks, they take a lot of money when it comes to upkeep and how mm-hmm. much money it takes to make sure they all have everything up to date, up to code, everything that goes in the debt. There is also all of those debt that they have. There are a lot of owners who do pay back their debts at a certain point during the season. And why is that? Because of gate revenue. This is an aspect that I feel like most people forget. Is that gate revenue is a big portion of these owners' uh, income. That a lot of the revenue, that near 40% gate revenue, allows these owners to be in, like you said, the black by the end of the season. That revenue is what allows them to stay in the black and not in the red because are there owners out there that start in the red at the beginning of the season and then make it into the black because of that 40% revenue? Sure. There's, there are probably a couple. Now, are there teams like the Yankees who basically spend so much money? I don't think they even care at this point. Sure. But for a majority of MLB owners, they rely on that gate revenue. I un- Now, I'm going to get to this point right here. People have mentioned as a rebuttal, oh, 
Forbes said they had $10 billion in revenue last year. They can obviously afford this. That $10 billion in revenue, that heavily relies on gate revenue. In fact, they make billions of dollars every year because 162 games, you've got concessions, you've got ticket sales, you got memorabilia, you have all this stuff that comes in every single year, and that counts as gate revenue. Does television contracts help? Absolutely. But that gate revenue is what they heavily rely on. And Sonar, what's the one thing they're missing right now because they're not playing? What is that 40% that they don't have because they're not playing? Oh, yeah. Gate revenue. They don't have any of that. So if you're missing out on 40% of your revenue, and if you are the Cincinnati Reds, if you're the San Diego Padres, if you're one of those smaller market teams that are only in the 400, 500 million, you are going to miss a huge chunk of that gate revenue. And that's going to affect you a lot more than, let's say, the Detroit Tigers, the New York Yankees, the teams that are worth the billions of dollars that they can afford, or in somewhat of opinion, take a loss for one season. Well, this is where the economy of scale comes in with a lot of this. Yes, small business owners and big business are are different. But in the end of the day, they're business. They still operate the same way. I spend out X, I should re, I should receive Y, and I have equity of Z. That's that's how every business is ever run. So, if you can't meet your debt of the money going out with the money that's coming in or the money of previous years to pay for what's going out, then you have to sell your business or put more money into it. Whether you get that from a bank, an investor, you reinvest your own money back into it, however you you have to do it. My issue is, is that these guys have been playing with some large, large margins in the past and have and still for some reason cannot handle one bad year. How about I give you an because I feel like this would explain what's going on now. It, back in 2008 when the recession hit, there were a lot of owners of sports teams that had to slip back. They had to buy out contracts. They had to scale back on how many millions of dollars they had to spend on players. Yes, there were certain players who kept getting those mega million contracts, but it wasn't the extreme number that the players were getting before 2008. Mm -hmm. In fact, from 2008 to 2011, yeah, there were a couple who got those, you know, 50, 60, 70 million dollar deals. But a lot of them got those one-year, two-year deals. And why was that? Because the owners had to scale it back just a little bit. Because of the recession and the money that they were losing and they were not getting at that point, they had to scale it back just a little bit. With the coronavirus and with the pandemic that just hit, certain owners are having to scale that way. There have been players getting released left, right, center over the past two weeks. Diamondbacks, they had to release their longtime veteran, Edwin Jackson. Uh, the Nationals had to release four players. There were all of these players who are being cut and being released because they're having to shed payroll. I understand it. And I get what's going on. Is that these owners are so counting on those revenue and you talked about margins. You talked about how they had all margins up to it. Yes, and that revenue, by the way, that $10 billion that Forbes reported last year, that isn't shared among all 30 MLB teams. Exactly. There are some teams that are among the highest in revenue, and then there are some teams that are towards the bottom. So it wasn't like the revenue of $10 billion is shared equally among every team. No, there are some teams that are in the billions, like the Yankees, 
that they get more of a higher revenue than a team like Sandio, who is you know, lower on that totem pole. My biggest so issue for those- is the whole too big to fail is my biggest issue with this whole thing. Let these owners fall flat on their face. They made a promise to pay people. They can't pay people. So unless the, the people turn around and say, you know what, you don't owe us that, we'll, we'll walk off with some of that debt, whatever. But you made a promise to pay these people. And if you're not going to pay them and you can't pay your debts, you have to go bankrupt or you have to sell your team. Let's maybe you get some to- fresh blood in there and now maybe they'll uh, make some better decisions economically. Or here's a possibility you have not thought about. They could file bankruptcy. They could. Or they could both meet in the middle, stop this petty feud between both of them, and just come to a compromise. Yeah, it's the players I said being this, nice. I've said this on a sports angle countless times. I'm not on the owner's side, and I'm not on the player's side. I'm on the side of getting back to baseball. Whatever that has to require, I want baseball. This is The Sports Angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelps. Time. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for any one. Learn more at k12.com. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 